Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And you get worse at that each time. Thanks. Thanks for the compliment. Chris, oh, that's the episode. Sorry. You just, you know, you might, might have to have your inhaler ready. Yes. Well, I haven't got long left in my 20s, so I'm getting old. Uh, clearly. Yeah. Old and overweight. Here I am. Uh, talking to you about talking ducks. What a life. <laughs> Um, so, this week, Marvel release their first uh, MCU horror film, directed by Sam Raimi, Legend of the Genre, yeah? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah absolutely. Doctor Strange in Multiverse of Madness, but we're not talking about the first Doctor Strange or anything linked to that, however, we are talking about another multiverse film. <laughs> yeah. A film that is definitely amongst the list of films people expect us to discuss. It was definitely there. It was one we were holding off, wasn't yes. it? For a, for a one-off, we're not doing shitty superhero month again. Thank mm. fuck. Um, we are discussing another Marvel film. We are discussing Howard the Ducking Duck. Okay. <laughs> I might as well start the duck puns now because, I mean, it's pretty much all this film has. It's, yeah, it's pretty much all it's got going for it. Howard the Duck, A New Breed of Hero, released in 1986. Whew. Directed by Willard Hook. But with a Y. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Willard Hoik. 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 Yeah, let's say Hoik. Uh, director of Messiah of Evil. Okay. French Postcards and Best Defense. Oh, okay. Co-writer of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Nice. American Graffiti and more. Oh, wow. And so a, a good pal of um, George Lucas there. Yeah, also a script doctor on Star Wars A New Hope. Script doctor, is that the word? Yeah. Is it? Oh, I never knew that. And somehow, <laughs> he made this <laughs> weird... Bizarre, well, I'd say, I'd easily say, uh, without an exaggeration, the most bizarre big budget film aimed at a family audience yeah. ever made. I'm going to say it now. We all make choices. <laughs> but this film made some fucking choices. Um, yeah, crazy I, I mean, that it's big budget. You know, obviously, I'm a big Marvel fan. I love the character. I, you know... I haven't read a full Howard the Duck comics. He's, he's popped up here and there in comics I've read. Uh, of course, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy in the post-credits scene, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, briefly in Avengers Endgame, which I didn't realise until today. Um, in Marvel vs. Capcom, I think. He's in Marvel vs. Capcom. Yeah, um, he, yeah he's... The games, uh, the video games. Yeah, he, he's a great character. Uh, a really funny character, and I hope we get to see more of him in the MCU. Um, which makes this even more sad that <laughs> that this ended up being a trash piece and not an actual good film. <laughs> because it could have been really good. There was potential there, and that I think that's what I sort of came away from the film. I don't want to go straight into yeah. that. But it, there's potential there that we'll talk about. Made on a budget of $37 million, and it made $37.9 million worldwide. Ouch. Yeah, that's a bomb. Yeah. Really. Parents probably... I mean, the 80s were a weird time, and a lot of stuff 
was released for kids that probably shouldn't have been released for kids. But a few parents probably seen this and they're like, oh, hang on a minute, and there's no way I'm taking my fucking kids to see that. Like, this is so, so risque for uh, a kid's yeah. film. Um, it's a film that could only have been made in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Like, really, seriously, you couldn't have made that today with any level of sincerity. Well, if they do reboot it now, they're going to have to do it as an adult type yeah, of film. Yeah, absolutely. Which is pretty much what it was meant yeah. to be. So getting into the trivia, according to reports at the time of the film's release, George Lucas had just built the $50 million Skywalker Ranch Complex and was counting on this film to get him back in the black. Yeah, because George Lucas produced this. This is a Lucasfilm limited film, um, which is even more ridiculous. Uh, when it bombed, he was forced to start selling off assets to stay afloat. His friend Steve Jobs, yes, that Steve Jobs, offered to help by buying Lucasfilm's newly launched CGI animation division for a price well above market value. Lucas, in dire straits and thankful for the assistance, agreed. That division eventually became Pixar Animation Studios. Nice. So Howard the Duck is responsible for Pixar. Yeah. Well, thank God, you know, <laughs> all is forgiven. For a film, you know, you know me, I love my Toy Story films. So if the creation of this dire film led to the creation <laughs> of Toy Story, then it's five star. Five star yeah. masterpiece. Done. Podcast episode done. We don't need to talk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leah Thompson was in this, um, star of Back to the Future trilogy, some kind of wonderful Jaws 3D. Caroline in the City. Um, yeah, so she's in this. We've got a few bits of trivia about her. Uh, in a Twitter comment, she confirmed that she still has a Les Paul guitar, uh, Cherry Bomb, and sometimes still plays it. Nice. She did all of the singing for all of her songs. Uh, in certainly the, did. In the characters' band, uh, as did the other actresses in the group. On the 2009 DVD, she states that even during filming, the studio had not made a final decision as to whether to keep her singing voice or dubber. I think she does well. I, I do think she does well. I don't think she has the best material to sing. No. Um, one of the band members, whose name I'm getting up here, Holly Robinson Pete, uh, who went on to gain, gather some fame for um, 21 Jump Street a year later. Um, she had a fantastic singing voice. Yeah. And probably should have been the lead singer of the band. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, choices. <laughs> uh, Leah Thompson... I'm going to say that a lot, Jules. I'm just warning you now. And there's going to be a lot of times where we're going to give a fact or something's going to happen in a film. Right? <laughs> choices. <laughs> Leah Thompson designed her characters look after Cindy Lauper and Madonna. Did she? <laughs> I, I don't or really Or did she design it. it after crinkle cut chips? <laughs> <laughs> that hair is crimped for the it gods. Is, it is. Um, for her 1980 style look, she had to have her hair styled for about two hours each day. Yeah. To get it as crimped yeah, as that. Exactly. She admitted later that she was not very happy about the treatment and should have worn a wig instead. Should have. Her hair was frazzled. Absolutely frazzled. It, it must have destroyed her poor <laughs> hair. Uh, in October 5th, 2017, a 70mm print of the film was screened at the Egyptian Theatre's Beyond Fest, with over 400 people attending. Lynn Thompson uh, attended the screening as well, 
and said that the event was better than the initial premiere of the film. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it's got a cult following now. Um, people love this film. And do you know what? I love this film, just not for film. the right reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes, I mean, the second time we've watched it now, I, I you kind of feel like turning it off once it reaches the hour mark, though, because after that, it just uh, goes off for so fucking long. It's, yeah, it's, I know, I, there's something else I will continue to say. It's much lengthier than it has any yeah. right to be. Following a test screening, uh, Universal executives Sid Scheinberg and Frank Price were allegedly arguing about who was to blame for greenlighting the film, which ended in a fist fight. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of films that should have ended in a fist fight. (laughs) George Lucas spent $2 million on Howard's duck suit and eight different actors worked inside the costume. According to the uh, special features on the DVD release, a child actor was intended to be the main Howard, but it didn't work out. So another actor, Ed Gale, ended up performing most of the major scenes as Howard, earning a credit at the start of the film. Um, I, I suppose... His eyes look like Theodore Rex. It's, he, kind of, he looks like Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin meets Theodore Rex. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of well made, but... <laughs> So well made, it's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, second consecutive uh, financial failure for director William Huyu. Uh, no, you know, the director. Um, his previous film, Best Defence, was also a box office flop. The failure of this film killed off his directing career for good and he never made another film after this one. I think, I think we do get this a lot on the podcast where someone has had a role within a major film that's done really well, either as a screenwriter, a script doctor, a cinematographer, you know, and, and done a good job and been well praised. And then they sort of think that mean, means they can be a director. And so they direct a film and it doesn't work out very well. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's happened a lot on the podcast. The one I'm thinking of is Freddie Francis for Trog, mm. um, who was a well-renowned cinematographer, oh, yeah. um, really a, at the top of his field, and then directed Trog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, it, it is weird. I mean, this film, by all accounts, with the team involved, there's no reason why this should have been bad. <laughs> No, no, and with the material as well. Yeah. It, there's no reason, no. Uh, it won four Razzies. Yes. It won Worst New Star, uh, the six guys and gals in the duck suit. Oh. Worst Visual Effects, Worst Screenplay. How can you blame that performance I... on them? <laughs> They're just in the... Well, waddling, really. Waddling yeah. around. I mean, they do their part quite well, really. Worst visual effects, worst screenplay and worst picture, which tied with Under the Cherry Moon. Yeah, they hated Prince. It was uh, also nominated for Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actor for Tim Robbins, and Worst Original Song for Howard the Duck Song. Yeah, yeah. Justified. Um, no Leah Thompson I am shocked. I am absolutely shocked, I'm shocked at that, that Leah really. Thompson was not nominated because her performance is fucking awful. It's, yeah. It's, 
Yeah, she probably should have been. And we usually defend actresses on this podcast, but I think she definitely deserved a nomination at least. I mean, even Tim Robbins isn't as bad as Leah Thompson in this. Like, it isn't great. Um, who was she up? Who would she have been up against? I'm just having a little nose. You know, it's always professional. So she would have been worst actress, wouldn't she? Yeah. Oh, here we are. Kim Basinger for Nine and a Half Weeks, Joan Chen for Taipan, Bridget Nielsen for Cobra, Ali Sheedy for Blue City, and the winner, Madonna for Shanghai Surprise. Oh, there we go. There we so go. there we are. <laughs> oh, so this is the same year that Shanghai Surprise would have been on for original song? Uh, yes. What, did it win? I think it won, didn't it? it would have, yeah, it won. Yeah. Yeah, it won. Shanghai Surprise. Well, that's great because... The, both Shanghai Surprise, the song, and the Howard the Duck song are just as bad as each other. They they are, they are. That was a rough year for theme songs. They do that thing where they just... Oh, no, it didn't win. What won? Uh, Love or Money for Under the Cherry Moon. Jesus. The Prince film. Um, yeah, no, it didn't win. It was nominated, though. <laughs> um, George Lucas's close friend, John Landis, was originally slated to direct the film. After reading the script, he turned down the opportunity due to the police car crashes in the finale because he felt this was too similar to that of his previous film, The Blues Brothers. No, John Landis just didn't have the heart to tell George Lucas that his script was fucking <laughs> abysmal. It was abysmal. How can you blame it on not wanting to direct more police car crashes? Shut the fuck up. That's awful. What a terrible excuse. Um, yeah, and... The car crashes was like the worst part of Blues Brothers. <laughs> we we I will admit I didn't like Blues Brothers. Yeah, we're, we're in the minority. Let's not make people hate us. No, um, due to the movie's disastrous box office performance domestically, the title was changed to Howard, a new breed of hero, for release outside the US with the hope that I'd have it do better. <laughs> what so people didn't know it was a duck? Yeah. The original Marvel comics were similar to the style of Deadpool with adult-oriented humour. This was uh, toned down for the film to make it appeal to younger audiences. No, it wasn't. It wasn't toned down it that really much. It really wasn't toned down. <laughs> but it this is toned down in wrong. all the wrong places. This is where it goes wrong. Like, who are you making this for? Who are you making this film for? It doesn't know its audience. In July uh, 2021, actor Chip Zine, who voiced Howard, uh, revealed in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter that Robin Williams was originally cast for the role. Uh, but Williams quit after only a week of uh, out of frustration over syncing his voice to the Duck's animatronic bill. Uh, an actor to voice Howard had not yet been cast during filming, so all of Howard's lines were read on set by the puppeteers, and the bill moved to fit their bland delivery. <laughs> that made it impossible for Williams to use his wild improv improv improvisational style in post-production because it didn't really work with the bill movements. The producers immediately called Zine, who had previously auditioned and told him he had the part but needed to fly to California that night. Okay, number one, Robin Williams, it would have worked. Yeah. But it would have worked in the same way Robin Williams as the genie worked. Yeah, the, there's no way they could have just the uh, the bill going up and down. Yeah. Blah blah blah, and then him having trying to fit to them, they have to try and fit to Robin Williams's 
uh, yeah. voice acting. So, yeah. I, I reckon that would have worked really, yeah. really if well. If you have Robin Williams on board, then why not just get him to do it at the time? Exactly. Why would you waste that opportunity? Put him in the fucking suit. <laughs> Much of John Barry's soundtrack for the film went unused after producer Gloria Katz deemed it to be too old-fashioned and lacking in energy. Sylvester uh, LeVay was hired to rescore much of the film, including nearly the entire final third act. There are moments in the film where I feel the soundtrack is ripping off Superman. Yeah. And also ripping off James Bond. Yeah. Um, The soundtrack is completely misused. There are, like, weird moments where the, the, the score is... Like going fucking full chariots of fire, <laughs> <laughs> when this animatronic duck is just kicking people. It's so strange. <laughs> it does. It really doesn't fit. And John Barry is a fantastic, you know, composer for movie soundtracks. Um, not the right choice. No. at all. No. You get fucking, what's his name? Oh, the one that works for Tim Burton all the time. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, get him yeah. to do it. He does a fabulous job with these kind of films. Uh, so, as well as Robin Williams, John Cusack, Rob Paulson, Townsend Coleman and Martin Short all auditioned for the role of Howard. Howard? Yeah. Oh, for The Voice? Yeah. Oh, okay. For the role of Beverly. Here we go. Paula Abdul, Kim Basinger, Phoebe Cates... Jodie Benson, Belinda Carlisle, Sarah Jessica Parker, Laurie Singer and Tori Amos were all considered for the role. I... Maybe not Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs) But I could see most of those actresses in that role. Belinda Carlisle? Yes. No, I mean actress, Belinda Carlisle. Wow. (laughs) The performance we got from an actual actress isn't the best. (laughs) You know, but Belinda Carlisle could have made the... Made the singing more. Made the singing that. a bit less cheesy. <laughs> it is that weird 80s film thing where a band, particularly with women involved, are made to seem like heavy and the yeah. crowd that go to see them are proper punks, rockers, <laughs> you know, that spit in your eye and you know have a mosh and then they're there singing what is essentially a pop rock song <laughs> with like crimped hair and everything not really looking that rocky and they're like and then these people like really tough looking people like rocking out to them. yeah it's like i think belinda Carlisle maybe would have made that work I a bit so. better should have just got Madonna to do it. Should have just got the Go Go's. <laughs> yeah. And just had the Go Go's as the band. Do you think Madonna would have been better? No. Um, no, I don't. Oh, I don't Plain know. type. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but finally, another legend um, considered for the role, uh, an audition for the role, screen queen and B movie legend Linnea Quigley. Said she auditioned for the role of Beverly and was very upset when she didn't get it. But then she saw the final film and was incredibly relieved she didn't get it. Oh, yeah. Hun. Come on. We love you. <laughs> You're a legend. But anyone who starred in Murder Weapon. <laughs> Nightmare Sisters. Nightmare Sisters. 
has no room to judge Howard the Duck. She has been in so much random shit. This could have been her big breakthrough role. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but luckily, Leah Thompson had two other films <laughs> close by that would have made her, that yeah. made her more famous. Uh, Leah Thompson's agent must have hated her in the eighties. Fucking got a Jaws three D in this. Um, I think Leah Quigley could have made it work. Yeah. If they played up a very ditzy nature, mm-hmm. you know, Linnea Quigley is very good at playing a, a, a sort of ditzy character. If they'd played that up a little more, and she can do, you know, the the rocker thing, she did it perfectly in um, Return, of the, Return of the Living Dead. She would have been probably more comfortable with more adult humour as yeah. well, so they could have made the film more in keeping with the comic books. Yeah. I think she would have done well. Um, but yeah, probably best not to judge Howard the Duck when uh, <laughs> you've been in some iffy films. Well, getting into the film, a sarcastic humanoid duck is pulled from his home world to Earth where he must stop an alien invasion with the help of a nerdy scientist and a struggling female rock singer. Yeah, yeah, that's about it, really. Um, we get some credits over shots of a city i'm assuming it's meant to try and to be new york yeah uh with some smooth jazz playing very setting a scene of very dick tracy it is yeah that's an interesting name there um i'm gonna say something (laughs) i feel like if the film had been howard the duck detective yeah going proper Philip Marlowe, Maltese Falcon, with that sarcastic sense of humour and the, the sort of adult uh, nature. Mm-hmm. Um, this could have been a really fucking great film. Yeah. I was more interested in this part than the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no pun intended, but the, the duck out of water narrative... I wasn't that interested in. No. Um, it was this. And I don't know if the comic books deal with this part much. Perhaps, yeah. And it would have been interesting. Um, Howard returns to his apartment as the smooth jazz continues to play. And we get a few posters around, yeah. don't we? What's, uh, have you got them down? Um, yeah, so we get My Little Chickadee starring May Nest. Nice, nice. Splash Dance and Breeders of the Lost Stork. Um, it also says... Um, Breeders of the Lost Talk. Yeah. Um, it also says on Wikipedia, uh, Howard the Duck is 27 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> and lives on Duckworld, a planet similar to Earth, but inhabited uh, by uh, ducks and orbited by twin moons. So, yeah, 27-year-old Howard is uh, coming home to his apartment. Yeah, there's some creepy family photos around, isn't there? Yeah. Well, I cannot stress how much these animatronic ducks look so creepy. Like, really, they look like they're staring directly into your soul. <laughs> What's that bird? Um, oh, an African stork um, that has very piercing eyes. Um, I can't remember what it's called, uh, but it's a very large stork native to Africa. And it's, you know, the the, the photos go around 
in Instagram every so often, like, whoa, check out this dog. <laughs> um, and it really, the eyes are so piercing. It's a bit like that. It's like, it looks directly into your soul. They're so creepy. To see it, I'd love to see one in real life. Do you think they've got them um, somewhere? Maybe. Like hard Rock, no, not Hard Rock Cafe. What's uh, Planet Hollywood? Planet Hollywood. And shit like that. Oh, I'd love to see one in real life. Scary. Keep me up at night. Um, he has a voicemail from someone called Wendy. Yes. Hi, it's Wendy. I had this really intense dream last night, Howie. I was running my fingers through your feathers and all of a sudden... Ooh, well, you better come over tonight and I'll show you what really happened next. Ciao for now, Harry. Uh, Harry? Howie? Um, Harry. Hang on a minute. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you going to show him when he gets exactly. to that apartment? <laughs> I love how wherever any woman in any film is trying to be sexy... Your impression is just Jennifer Tilly. It has to be. She sounded a bit like Jennifer Tilly. But, do you know what that was also giving me? What? Laura Palmer calling up old Russ Tamblyn <laughs> in Twin Peaks. Maybe that's... Uh, oh, this is before Twin Peaks. It's probably before inspired. Twin Maybe. I had a dream last night, Dr. Jacoby. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, as we find out soon enough, he doesn't get to go over and... Uh, no. Find out what really no, happened. That would have been an interesting part of the film. But I don't think he intends to, because he turns the TV on. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't exactly uh, rush out to no. go see her. Bless her. Um, What's on the TV? An advertisement for Jock Itch. Jock Itch. <laughs> a game show, uh, a doctor's drama, and a guy smashing up radios whilst advertising them. Yeah, I also like the, like, uh, duck version of Solid Gold. <laughs> or, like, in the UK, top of the pops. Yeah. Um, yeah, itchy crotch spray. <laughs> Nothing I'm too familiar with, but why the fuck would a kid watch this? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> jock itch. I don't know if there were adverts like that back in the eighties. Uh, I don't know if jock itch was a big deal back then. I suppose in the UK, sort of sports aren't that. I don't know, like prevalent, <laughs> like advertising. It's usually just oh, you got smelly armpits. Not well, not a fungal infection around <laughs> your uh, genitals. Well, so far we've had uh, Wendy and her wet dream. Um, then we've had the jock itch advertisement. Then Howard pulls out a fucking play duck in his living room and goes to a centerfold, and he's sitting there. Like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> He's definitely got an erection. Like he's absolutely about to have a wank. Um, when his armchair suddenly propels him out of his apartment building. Now again, you know, reminder: the point we're at at the moment. Wet dream, jock itch, centerfold. He zooms past a duck having a fucking bath with her duck tits out. She has got him on full display, nipples and everything. <laughs> It looks horrifying. So weird. So creepy. And for a kid's... Why have you got duck breasts on full display in a film for kids? Now, I hope that one's not a Planet Hollywood. Uh, it's so straight. I really don't know who they thought they were making this for. There's no words for it. I just don't know. I don't know choices you know we all make choices but duck tits they're a choice 
Um, we also see an old couple in bed. Yeah. Not getting up too much. Um, and a couple, I think we're having an affair in a lift, in an <laughs> elevator. Because <laughs> they seem like really, like, whoa. <laughs> uh, like they've just been caught getting up to something they're not meant to be doing in the uh, elevator. <laughs> um, we then get something, something multiverse. Yeah, a narrator, uh, who we only get at this point in the film, telling us what's happened. He's gone into the cosmos of space um, and whatnot. And then eventually lands uh, on Earth in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, yeah, this is actually a multiverse film. This is a multiverse film. So, do with that what you will. In keeping with the theme of the week, yeah. you know, here yeah. in the UK... Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. We released this week too. It wasn't deliberate on our part, but <laughs> you know, might as well roll with it. And then you've got um, Doctor Strange. Doctor yeah. Strange. That that's his name. Oh. My husband <laughs> said Doctor Strange. Love. I was like, no, that's Stanley Kubrick film. Um, um, Doctor Strange. Yeah. So I mean, in my mind, this this is obviously it's got to be in the MCU, hasn't it? I mean, it's this in the multiverse. Yeah, no, of course. It's yeah. official, it's canon. Yeah, definitely, definitely canon. Upon arriving, Howard is picked up by a bunch of punks, um, passed through a nightclub where Cherry Bomb are playing Hunger City, um, thrown well, out... He's... It, so it's very 80s punks, so very yeah. in keeping with the stereotypical punk of the 80s. Uh, I don't know what I... I think I called them hooligans. <laughs> uh, well, oh, hoodlums. Hoodlums. Um, they're passed to... A very nerdy looking guy, uh, Howard is passed to as his date for the night. <laughs> They're like, We've got a date for you, Larry, or whatever his name is. And they like hand him over, <laughs> and this guy like grabs him. And then he's thrown out the club for being underage. He's like, Oh, you don't fool me, kid, dressing up as a duck. You're underage. And Howard goes, No, that's my date over there. <laughs> Um, yeah, Leah Thompson is, I've wrote down slaying a performance. She is, she is slaying a performance. She didn't properly slay until the end, right at the very end. Um, but she's performing on stage. Um, where she's performing has like, like a cage in front. Yeah. To stop people from throwing bottles at her. <laughs> um, Howard's kind of harassed through the streets after this. Yeah. He ends up on a motorbike. Um, he ends up hanging from a um, traffic lights. Yeah, no, he, well, first he's thrown out next to some homeless people. Then mm. um, he nearly gets run over by a motorcycle gang. Yeah, it's just all over the place. And it's it's the first of many times where I sat there and I was like, what's the point of this? This is just <laughs> blowing up the budget. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, he accidentally fills up a couple who were making up Oh, he does. He does, yeah. <laughs> but it's like this... All the, the, the motorbikes, all the people involved, the sets and the, you know, breaking of the traffic light and all that shit. I'm like, this is stuff that's not that important. It's true. And it's all going towards... You've already spent two million on this <laughs> animatronic duck... And now you're having to put them in different situations that are just going to cost more and yeah. more and more and more. 
Um, and this, this is a theme throughout the whole film. It's the first time I really, I was like, what's the point of this? <laughs> what's going on here? Um, he ends up in, back in an alley somewhere or whatnot. And uh, Beverly finishes her set and she's walking home through the streets. Um, she's harassed by a couple of hoodlums. Yeah. And uh, Howard steps in to help. Yeah. His first act as a superhero. Well, he breaks the fourth wall and says, that's it, no more Mr. Nice Duck. Yes. Then he uh, informs the thugs uh, that no one laughs at a master of quack foo. I feel like this is the moment that was in all the advertising and why it didn't do very well. Like, the big joke was Master of Quack Foo. Yeah, cause everything's a fucking duck joke in this film. So many... They get a lot out of it, though. There more puns in this than Batman and Robin. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, th- after he saves her life uh, from the folks, the woman introduces herself as Beverly Switzler, lead singer of Cherry Bomb, and decides to take Howard to her apartment to let him spend the night, where he gives her his full life story. Yeah, yeah, she's... She, Beverly wonders if she's living a nightmare and not just because of her overly crimped hair. Um, she either feels sorry for or turned on by Howard. It's hard to tell with the acting. We soon find out it's a bit both. Yeah, and invites him to her, uh, to hers to stay over, to stay out of the rain. Um, which goes totally against the phrase, nice weather for ducks. Yeah. Um, but you know, I suppose. But the joke is he can't swim. Yeah, but he can't. He can't. They didn't. That's a pun that I made up that they didn't have. <laughs> you know, if she'd set a nice weather for ducks, oh, not really. Um, Beverly lives in a really rough building, that her sleazy manager has procured for her. Yes. Um, Howard is offended when Beverly suggests he may want a bowl to drink out of, <laughs> and she also suggests that um, she's never had a pet before and she doesn't know what to do if he has a shit on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) To which he's even more offended. Because I'm assuming he uses a toilet. Thankfully, praise be to whoever's (laughs) up there, thank you for not including him having a shit on the toilet. (laughs) We can just trust him on that one. Um, they talk, they have a chat, uh, and Beverly comes round to the idea of being in the presence of a talking duck pretty easily. Like, it doesn't take very... I find a lot of this film goes really quick. Yeah. And then there's a big part of it that goes on for far too long. Um, and this kind of, her kind of being shocked to begin with for about 10 seconds and then just kind of like yeah okay whatever it's a talking duck you know yeah. <laughs> might as well invite him back we'll just have a nice chat you know she comes around to the idea of it really oh, yeah. quickly yeah um after howard falls asleep she has a little nose in his wallet and what does she find in his wallet gary <laughs> a blooming ducks card yeah in a bizarre series of events <laughs> She finds that card. She finds pictures of him and other ducks. Duck money. And a fucking tiny duck condom. (laughs) I... I... I mean... Why? 
Will I put a condom fit for a duck dick? <laughs> Why on earth would you include this? I mean, I'm glad they did, but what the fuck? And she's just like, oh, Howard. But what's the joke? <laughs> like, the joke is... The, the joke is that the condom is of a size that would be suitable for a duck's penis. <laughs> Which would be different to a human's penis. Also, it's not in a wrapper, so is it used as I well? I don't know. Is it, it used? It didn't look up? used. But I mean, <laughs> but I suppose they had it out the wrapper to make the joke about the size of it, and it would be sufficient for a duck's penis. <laughs> like, but then you kind of have to. So to get the joke, really, you have to start thinking about a duck's dick. And think, <laughs> And Not all of our listeners and then it's like, Yeah, everyone dick. right now. I, 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 you might be Googling it as we speak. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of like, then you've just kind of creeped out and it's not funny anymore. It's just kind of weird. You imagine the guy who had to make this for the film, the prop yeah, master, who oh. like... <laughs> oh, um, yeah, so we need you to, to do some work for us. Uh, can you make a duck condom? Uh, whatever you think a duck condom looks like. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's still on the CV to this day. He's probably got it in his own wallet. Maker of shows yeah. it to everyone. <laughs> Look what I made. Uh, yeah. He almost gets to use it a little later on, reuse it, it even. Um, the following day, Beverly takes Howard in a bin bag to where uh, Phil Blumberg, played by Tim Robbins, a scientist who Beverly hopes can help Howard return to his world. Oh, what a nerd. He wears glasses. He yeah. doesn't style his hair. Wow, he must be a right old nerd. <laughs> and he is. Uh, he does a Donald Duck impression he to does. try and communicate with Howard. So he's not even like a clever... It's a, it's a weird thing where this guy is meant to be a scientist and clever and nerdy... But he's also really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, well, which mean, one is he? He's revealed to be only a janitor as well. Um, well, he's an assistant, but assistant means also having to clean up puke. Yeah. He uh, explains the evolution of man to Howard. Um, Howard resigns himself to life on Earth and rejects Beverly's aid. He doesn't want to know. So um, essentially the premise of the film and this multiverse is the idea that instead of um, the apes evolving, it was ducks that evolved. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, do we get some hilarious jokes based around that? Yeah. Um, he doesn't want to know. Howard just reads Phil a lot. He does. Throughout this. Um, very quite rude. Um, yeah, they don't want to know. They piss off. Him and Beverly piss off. Yeah. And they're like, no, we, you know, you're an idiot. You're just a lab assistant, which I think was a bit harsh. Then, for some reason, Howard and Beverly have a falling out. Yeah. By the fountain outside. Yeah. I have no idea. I, like, literally, I've put uh, Howard and Beverly fall out as quickly as they became friends. Not 100% sure why, though. Like, like so I, I have no idea. <laughs> He's just kind of, uh, oh, Beverly, I don't need you. You know, and she's like, oh, how? <laughs> he's like, no, no, I need to go about this on my own. And she's like, oh, well, you'll come crawling back or whatever. 
And he does, like, very fast. He does, actually. Uh, but before then, he decides for some reason that the next logical step is to get a job. Well, he scares off a group of kids before that. He does, well, which is quite he funny. does. But he's, his idea is that, okay, I need to assimilate into Earth culture. Yeah. And assimilating means getting a job. Yeah, I guess a job centre. He does. He's <laughs> lambasted by Cora May at the job centre. Uh, she believes his controversial image is to get out of working. <laughs> she was um, in an episode of Golden Girls. It took me... I don't know if you were struggling to picture where you knew her from, but she was in an episode of Golden Girls. Her son married Dorothy's... Uh, no, excuse me, her daughter... Married Dorothy's uh-huh. son. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Just his name. Yeah, so she's, uh, yeah, she's, she's having a right go at him and she, uh, bends over to grab a job ad and he goes to bite her ass, but she turns around and shoves the job ad in his mouth. Yes, and what's the job, Gary? It's not the job I thought you would get at a job centre. No. Um, a- again, this, uh, family friendly film. He gets a job at a sex sauna. Yeah, it, it it's yeah, it's a swingers club. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and and they're not subtle about it either. No, not at all. No. <laughs> so he goes, and it's this like sauna and whatnot, and the first thing you see is this topless woman. You don't you don't see, you see duck tits, but you don't see her. <laughs> Um, but a, a man's running up to her in his speedo and, and hugging her and they're kissing and they go off into a room. It's very seedy and it's very, um, red, redly lit, isn't it? Yeah. So that's, you know, very sweaty. Um, he's the water expert. <laughs> that's his job title, water expert, but he can't swim. Yeah. Uh, there's a problem with one of the hot tubs, so he's thrown into the hot tub to fix it. Yeah, what's a couple of sex a in there? couple are getting it on. <laughs> I don't know if they're, they're kind of kissing, but like like really unsexy kissing. Yeah. He also says it must be mating season. Yes. Um, he, <laughs> then there's an issue with... Well, um, the manager finds a lady's bikini top in a, like, a bath of mud. A mud bath, there we go, that's the term I'm looking yeah. for. Just swap them around, Chris. Um, in a mud bath, and he said, oh, I better get the water expert in here to fix this. Um, so Howard kicks him, the manager, into the mud bath and quits. Yeah. And that's a real throwaway scene for absolutely no reason. <laughs> I'm glad it's included, but really, they could have just skipped past him falling out with Beverly and uh, just carried on with the film because none of this needed to happen. Yeah, because after quitting, Howard goes back to the bar to see Cherry Bomb perform. Yeah. Uh, he overhears their manager, Ginger. Well, his... before that, he, oh, he watches he a bunch of uh, TVs uh, in the shop window. Oh, they all happen to be showing stuff related to killing ducks yes. at the exact same time. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, duck hunting season. Yeah. There's an interview with a guy. He's like, oh, we're going to shoot the fuckers. <laughs> but it's censored. Uh, and then there's someone's made a nice roast duck. Yeah. Uh, recipe. A bit um, of Looney Tunes. Yeah, a bit of Looney Tunes where Daffy Duck's getting beaten up. Um, yeah, he does, yeah. Oh, is it, is it every 80s film has to have a moment where someone walks past a shop window 
where TVs are on full display. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah, it's the biggest 80s cliche. I don't remember. I mean, I, I wasn't... I was alive for two years in the 80s, but I was alive in the 90s, and I don't remember that. No. Not hearing... I think it's an American thing. I think thing. it's an American thing. Um, um, at the club where Cherry Bomb's performing, they're, they're playing a slow song... And Beverly, you know, the professional of the band, she's like, nah, fuck this, this song's too depressing, I ain't playing this shit anymore. So like, do you know what, let's play something more up-tempo, ow. And they start... <laughs> Who knew you could do up-tempo? <laughs> and they start playing something faster, like, hang on a minute, you li- you're playing to a packed audience, they're all watching you, and you literally just stopped your song, your own song, because it's too depressing, it starts now. No one out. seems to care anyway. No, no one gives a shit. shit. Like, the manager just wants to fuck her, so he doesn't care. But I feel like the idea is that the slow, depressing song was in honour of Howard. Yeah. Like, that's what I feel. Like, like she's pining over Howard, uh-huh. even though this is some, you know, humanoid duck creature <laughs> that she's only known for one night that fell out with her at the drop of a hat for no reason. And she's seemingly wrote a song about him. Yeah. In one day and performing it, and now this is too depressing. Let's play something more upbeat. Um, so Howard overhears uh, their manager Ginger and his cronies talking about not paying the girls unless Beverly puts out. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, a fight breaks out. Um, Howard wins. It's a really weird fight to watch. It's very <laughs> strange. He gets like. Slid down the bar. Yeah. It reminds me that what's that advert? Like, oh, I always wanted to do that. This <laughs> 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 in the new Jack Daniels one where, where she slides a, a drink down the bar. <laughs> like, I always wanted to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is that just me? That's yeah. funny. <laughs> he uh, eventually holds a nice pick to the manager, sacks him. Um, well, he puts it through a loop in his ear. Yeah. So he can't. If he moved, it, the ring would get ripped out of his ear. Um, yeah, he, he tells him he's fired, takes the money, and threatens everyone at the bar with space rabies. Yes. He says he's got space rabies and one bite, and they would, be, they would die an excruciating death. Howard rejoins uh, Beverly backstage after the band's performance, walks in, and he talks about. Uh, like, oh, it's Howard's Howard, Howard's bag. Like, Sex appeal. Some people got it. Some people don't. What? Yeah. <laughs> Phil shows up with pizza and is like, sorry, girls, missed the show, but I arrived in time to watch you get undressed. Like, why the fuck is everyone showing up and being all fucking predatory with his band? Well, Phil's girlfriend, who we never see them together after no. this moment, is Annette, who plays in the band. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where that's come from. I suppose that's how, um, Beverly would have known Phil. Yeah. And known that he works at the museum. Even no one would have questioned that. No one would have questioned that. No one would have been fine. Um, he's really happy to see Howard. He gets a call uh, and his girlfriend tries talking to him, but he's like, no sex, darling. I've got work to do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He feels, he steals a feather from Howard and leaves. Um, after Howard pays the band with the money he got from the manager. Yes. Um, Howard stays over at Beverly. Yeah, no, in a, in a bizarre series of events, in the most popular series of events from this film, 
the scene that everyone knows this film for. Let's face it. Yes. Howard accompanies uh, Beverly, yeah, back to her place. They go back and uh, he dances to generic keyboard music that's pre-saved on a keyboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> begins to play keyboard while she's in the shower. He then tells her that he was part of Howard and the Heartbreakers in high school and Beverly persuades him to be the band's new manager because of this and he agrees after seeing her bending over her bed in her underwear. Yeah, so she's got a cute little top on and she's just yeah. got knickers on the bottom and she bends over to bed. And he's like... Because initially he's like, well, I've got to go home. I can't be your manager. I want to go home. Um, and he's like, oh, well, I might be persuaded. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know why I gave him a May West. <laughs> May Nest. May Nest, excuse me. The two begin to flirt. Um, she said, oh, oh, I just can't find the right man. And he's like, well, maybe it's not a man you should be looking for, doll. Oh. Um, and then she says, should I be looking for love in the animal kingdom, ducky? Oh, God. So, oh, you're so soft. Oh. Uh, and then she starts feeling him up. His feathers stick up in the kitten he has an erection. She tells him how she can't resist his animal magnetism. He tries to resist. She tries to take her top off and he stops her. But then they kiss. Kind of. She says she's only kidding, though, doesn't she? Bitch, she ain't kidding. Like, this is honestly ridiculous. I, I don't even know what else to say about it. Like, I this... just, I don't get, I don't get it in a family-friendly film. Oh, try saying that five times fast. <laughs> or what is meant to be a family-friendly yeah. film. Um, even in the comic books, that would be really weird. But it'd be funny, because it's targeted towards adults, so you could get away with including something like this, and it'd be funny. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, I mean, it's it's very entertaining, seeing Leah Thompson trying to uh, get in, get it on with a dog. But, yeah, it's just fucking bizarre. Yeah. There's not really much to say, except it's just really strange. It just makes no sense. <laughs> um, the next morning, or is no, it's still just night? Jarring. Like they're they're kissing beyond sh- uh, beyond sheets, aren't they? Yeah. And, okay. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's silhouette kiss. Yeah, isn't it? they're interrupted by Phil and two of his colleagues. who revealed that a laser spectroscope they were inventing was aimed at Howard's planet, and that's what transported him to Earth when it was activated. Yes, apparently it was their fault. Yeah. Um, they think they can send him back, though. Yeah. Uh, but Phil is upset as he wants Howard to do the talk show circuit. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to make some money <laughs> off uh, Howard. Yeah, Howard... Um, they, they decide to do it through reversal of the same process. And Howard quotes Casablanca to Beverly on the way to the laboratory. Yeah, Howard and Beverly have a fond farewell moment, even though they've only known each other for two days. <laughs> Um, and he didn't talk to her for most of the previous no. day. And also, we're not really that far into this film. No. Um, that's what I put here, not knowing how much shit was going to go on for the rest of this fucking film. Um, it's weird. I feel like 
me- I feel like a lot was cut from this film. Like, this was meant to... It's one of those films that could have been four hours and they, they have to cut it down yeah. massively. And I feel like they've cut so much from the development of their relationship before this point. And I don't mean her getting a bit of duck dick. <laughs> I mean in terms of their friendship. I just... I feel like this moment where they have a really sincere, fond farewell at the back of a truck, mm-hmm. it's just kind of means nothing because I, I was just sat there like, but you barely know him. Yeah. <laughs> like you, really, you have no idea who he is. And you have, and he's like, oh, I think I'll miss you most of all. And like, <laughs> you haven't developed a friendship between these two. You haven't developed anything. You haven't developed their characters really. No. So none of this means anything. Uh, luckily, we've got a fucking long time after this as well <laughs> to try and develop something. Yeah. Um, because the laser beam that brought him to Earth has now malfunctioned. Yeah. And Jennings has disappeared. Yeah. And the police have arrived. The police have arrived. They strip Howard to his boxers um, and then only to dress him up in new, really flamboyant clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they try arresting him for being an illegal alien. <laughs> Like, this just comes out of nowhere. Like, who the fuck even called the police? Yeah, I don't, I don't know who called the police, but they do arrest him for being an illegal alien. Yeah. Which is a term that is used for someone who is illegally in the country. Yeah. So this film, and it made me think, I was like, oh, wow, this film could have been a really interesting allegory on tolerance and of you know, assimilating into cultures, but also being tolerant of other cultures, um, you know, of racism or xenophobia. I mean, this could have been a really interesting allegory wrapped up in a silly comedy, but it could have actually meant something. Yeah. And that's what's kind of annoying, is that actually there is something that could have been meaningful in this. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's the disappointment because I am ent- I have been entertained up to this point and, and for a little longer. Um, but it actually could have meant a lot more. Yeah. Because sometimes comedy is a great way of getting a message out there. Same way horror is as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're sort of looked down on it in, in many cases, I, I think, as kind of a lesser genre. Yeah. Or one that isn't as clever as others. Um, but you can get a lot of interesting messages out through horror and comedy. And I think it's a real missed opportunity with Howard the Duck that they couldn't get that message across. Because, I mean, it writes itself. Yeah. I mean, this is a duck on Earth being mistreated, you know, and but there's never a moment where it's... Where the idea is sort of the the allegory is brought up and, no. and sort of to real life, it's just a lot of duck jokes. Yeah, um, yeah. I think nowadays, if there's a film, how the duck film made, that's probably how they would go. I th- I with think it. So. I I'd rather um, if if I'm being perfectly honest, I'd rather they just stuck with the duck detective. Part, yeah, which I'm not. He wasn't even a detective, but it, it gave all the inklings of yeah. him being a detective at the beginning. Um, but I would have enjoyed that with a few duck puns and such. <laughs> but during the sequence, um, 
<laughs> Leah Thompson's performance Ooh. peaks. Peaks. <laughs> it is fucking awful. It's so bad. Um, when she helps him escape, it, it just yeah. She. I feel like she was trying, maybe a little too hard. She was. She was. You could see the the. You could see her trying. You could see it behind the eyes. The the clock was ticking. You, you know, you could see the the cogs going round, and she's like, oh, okay. I don't. I, I feel like no one told her what to do, so she just kind of had to try and make. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe she hadn't had much of a comedy career up to this point. No. As they try to escape, they run into Doctor Walter Jennings, who is possessed by a life form from a distant region of space, and they all escape together. Um, they then visit a cultural appropriating diner. I have no idea. I don't understand why this diner, like all American diner, yeah. everyone is dressed up in stereotypical Japanese headwear. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, it's not like a bar themed after Japanese culture or anything like no. that at all. It's just, it is just an, an American diner. But there's not a sign outside that says, you know, this is a Japanese diner. Or tonight's special is sushi or, or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why they're all wearing these hats. No. And, and then, like, they're served what looks like a fucking full English breakfast. Yeah. So... Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, the creature, when they get to the diner, the creature introduces itself through, uh, through Dr. Jennings as the dark overlord of the universe and demonstrates its developing mental powers by destroying a table, utensils, and condiments. Yeah, it's become, he's becoming redder and more erratic yeah. as the scene goes on. This scene goes on for a very long time. Um, he's, Howard has served eggs, eggs in the meantime and is horrified and asks the waitress if she thinks he's into cannibalism. Yeah. But the, the running joke is that as Jennings is like, I can feel it building inside of me. <laughs> And he's getting more and more, you know, redder and bloated as well. Yeah. It was, oh, uh, he must have eaten the uh, tuna or so. You know, everyone keeps making jokes like he's had some bad food. Yeah. But you get it like four times. It's like, okay, <laughs> get it. Yeah, this is the point where the film starts to go on for way too long. This is the turning point. Yeah. <laughs> um, they go to leave and three sort of, trucker stereotypes with caps think that Beverly is cute and that Howard is Jennings ventriloquist dummy <laughs> uh, Howard insults them and a fight ensues and then everyone in the diner decides to cook Howard despite <laughs> Be despite Beverly calling Howard her boyfriend yeah that only causes like a second of disgust yeah and one of them turns around and says, that's disgusting yeah and then they go into the kitchen. Everyone in the diner, this is like Dawn of the Dead territory, is crowding around Howard. Um, a chef, I suppose it was the chef. Yeah. I, um, and I think he was played by a Japanese actor. So I, I don't know what the joke is here. Uh, and I don't think I want to know what the joke no. is here. But he, he's ready to cut off Howard's head so they can roast him. 
Um, Jenning then decides this is the time to perk up. Before that, oh. Lee Thompson's going around like, you don't make me proud to be a human. Well, shut the fuck up, Leah Thompson. And then she goes up to Jennings. She's like, oh, they're being so violent. I hate violence. Get in there and beat them up. <laughs> it's that kind of humour, yeah. Um, so he finally perks up. Starts making shit explode. Yeah. Not actual shit, just random shit. Um, so he can get a code key. So he has a code key um, that allows him to start the laser. Um, it's not explained why he wants the code key at this point, is it? No, no. No, but he's after this code key that Howard has, or Howard had, gave it to one of the truckers and gets power. I don't fucking know. I, don't, I actually really don't care at this point. <laughs> um, Howard and Beverly, well, everyone runs out apart from Howard and Beverly. They then try to escape, but Jennings traps them and sends Howard spinning on the ceiling, like uh, Lionel Richie. <laughs> he kidnaps Beverly so that a dark overlord can grow inside her body. Yeah. So he explains that these dark overlords from space or wherever can only come to Earth if they can take over a body as yeah. a host. This is why he has abducted Beverly. Yeah? Mm-hmm. This is why he's allowed Beverly to live because he wants to use her body as a host for a dark overlord. Yeah? Mm-hmm. This is very clear in the film. This is why he's doing that. Um, he then inserts his large phallic tongue into the cigarette lighter <laughs> of a truck that he's stolen um, as to give him more energy. <laughs> um, and it was very phallic because yeah. the 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 tip of it was absolutely a helmet. It, it was. It absolutely. was. And again, in the same scene, he's like, I need your body. And Leah Thompson's like, creep, I've heard that one before. Yeah. <laughs> Which it is, in fairness, throughout the whole film, um, Leah Thompson is harassed by yeah. many men. It's very, it, it's, it's, I'm assuming it's a running joke, um, but it's very true. <laughs> Um, Howard helps a now arrested Phil escape. Yeah, why is Phil there and why is he arrested? I don't know why he's been arrested. He doesn't actually say. Oh, I think he may have. I don't know what the police are after. I I really, I I, I genuinely stopped caring. (laughs) Because I was just like, oh, he's just there. It just happens. Uh, Choices are made. Um, so he helps Phil escape from the police car. Uh, and they strive to save the day. Um, they try to steal a plane. They, they do steal a plane. They do. They do steal a plane. Of course they do. Because this is another scene that goes on for far too long. But Howard's a bit apprehensive. He says, if God had intended us to fly, he wouldn't have taken away our wings. Yeah. <laughs> um, to which Phil tells him that's very profound. Uh, <laughs> not very profound. Is this film. Um, Howard Stillman's an old-fashioned plane. Yeah. So it's like Wright Brothers territory. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where they get this plane from. I must have... I must have, like, not noticed a scene where they actually get this plane. Um, but he mans it. He's piloting it to go and save Beverly. Um, 
Jennings arrives at the... I don't know, where are we... What are we calling it? Science lab? Laboratory. The yes. laboratory where the, the laser is. Uh, he starts wreaking havoc throughout. What I don't understand, he's kidnapped Beverly, but then hides Beverly in there. Yeah. Pretends to be a visitor on a trip round, and then goes and finds Beverly and takes, moves her anyway. Yeah. They really wanted that one hour, 50 minute oh runtime. Oh my God. <laughs> um, Howard becomes more in tune with his ancient birdness, not my words, Phil's words, in an effort to fly through the streets of Cleveland. Now this goes on for fucking ages. It feels like half an hour of the film where he's just doing, whoa, oh, I can't fly this. Oh, going it does. too high. Going so oh, long. going too low. Oh, oh, police car crashes. Oh, duck oh. pen. Oh, duck pun. Oh, almost hit those pedestrians. Watch out. Oh, hey, I'm walking here. All that stuff. It does go for so far long. too long. And this, I, I dread to think how much of the budget went oh, on I this know. scene. <laughs> Absolute waste of money. Such a waste of money. Pointless. Ridiculous. Goes on for far, far, far. Far too long. I just... By any way, I was like, I don't care. I hope you crash. I, I don't think I got a single note from that scene. There's no point. I mean, this is, you know, completely pointless. So I literally, you know, off the top of my head, just did a few impressions of shit Yeah, that's accurate. Thank you. Uh, um, they arrive at the laboratory eventually. Um, some, something gets thrown at Howard and uh, feels like, Duck! And Howard's like, and proud. <laughs> yeah. That was fucking funny. <laughs> or maybe I just lost the will to carry on with that. I thought was funny. It actually got a little laugh out loud from me. A lol. It got a lol from me. Um, they seemingly destroyed a dark overlord with an experimental neutron disintegrator. Yeah, oh, you're not doing that justice. They find this disintegration laser whatever it is that phil knows about that's somewhere and then they make a complete farce of it again this goes on for far it too does. long whoa whoa how do you man this thing um <laughs> complete farce of it they end up shooting i, I just said jenning because it's still jenning isn't it yeah um so they eventually manage to work it after a standoff, and the standoff feels like half an hour as yeah. well, um, and then another large explosion occurs, um, with a is Howard dead fake out? I'm like where is it? Where's Howard? <laughs> Where's he gone? Oh, um, all this time Beverly's been strapped to some table, sort of James Bond style. Yeah. With this laser about to shoot her and and force some dark overlord into her body. Um, Jennings is back to normal, good for him, and he tells them that the Dark Overlord in him has been released by the explosion, but is now in the lab. Yeah. Um, he's 100% correct, as a large stop-motion slug-like creature appears, wrecking the joint. Um, and I've put, seriously feels like they're deliberately trying to spend as much money as possible here. <laughs> Yeah, it's brought to life with some stop motion, which looks all right, actually. It looks good. It looks good. It's completely pointless. Yeah. Like, why do we have to have this Jennings defeated <laughs> and then this stop motion creature 
appear. You could have just had the stop motion creature in the first why place. Why was it and just no in Jennings. the first place? Yeah. Why? Why have we had this fannying around with the laser part, and then fannying around with the standoff, fannying around with where's Howard? <laughs> you know that shit. And then we've got this. This is your sort of main antagonist now. Yeah. Um. Oh. But eventually, the grabs, beast is yeah. uh, defeated. Yeah, it grabs After powers lots more faffing. and activates the laser to bring the other overlords down. Despite Jennings saying they needed a human host, which is why he kidnapped Beverly. Yeah. So he's he's like, oh, well, four or five or six or seven or whatever are going to come down now and they're going to wreak havoc in the lab. But I thought that they had to have a human host yeah. in order to survive on Earth. You'd think so. But then there's this stop-motion one that's going around perfectly fine. Yeah. All these other ones that are being brought down by this laser, it makes no sense. The Overlord shoots Beverly and Phil, which makes them sparkly and translucent, <laughs> whilst Vibrant doing... Whoa. Uh, Tim Robbins is much better at that than uh, Leah Thompson. Um, Howard shoots the Overlord with the laser, which does the trick and saves Phil and Beverly. Yeah. Howard must then shoot the laser to stop it's the so other Overlord, but it also means he can't return home. He destroys the laser, saying goodbye, Duck World. The ma- the machinery falls on Howard, <laughs> and we get another "Is Howard dead?" <laughs> fake out. Yeah, oh, Leah Thompson Howard. really gives an emotional speech. Oh, Howard, I don't know where you are, but I hope you're happier there. This world didn't treat you good, but you saved it. Um, which would have meant more if it uh, developed the characters a little more. Um, he's not dead. He's not dead. He's alive. And then we cut to the Cherry Bombs performing to a much larger audience yeah. than before, because they're now... Managed by Howard the Duck. Yeah, he's hired Phil as an employee on their tour. Yeah, they dedicate a song to him. Yeah. Called, what, oh, what's it called? Uh, Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck, yes. Razzie nominated Howard the Duck. Yeah, he joins them on stage and performs a guitar solo. Is this a nod to Back to the Future? I assume so. But it only came out a year before. But it does, there are shots that are very similar yeah. to Marty McFly um, performing... On stage. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Song, the song. The song's bad. It is bad. I'm sorry. Um, the only saving grace, and it's where I think we should finish, is Leah Thompson doing some <laughs> variation on a death drop. Well, yeah, the, guitar. the end credits start over the performance, and as they start, she does a death drop. She does. Um, and after the credits partially finish, at the first lot of credits... They tell each other how much they love each other, her and Howard. And that's Howard the Duck. And that's Howard the Duck. So we're, we're left believing they're actually in a relationship. Yeah. You, you finally got to reuse that condom. Do you think they were making an effort to strive for a sequel? Oh, of course they were. It's I, not the most open of endings, but, you know, he didn't return to his no. planet. He didn't... It's so weird. Really just... They really fucked this up. Yeah. This is a classic case of a trash to piece. This is a oh. film they really thought they were doing something with. I was fully entertained. They they thought this was, you know, going to be a big blockbuster hit. 
No, it's not because of the saw. It, <laughs> if it was they, a disaster. Yeah, I think... I think it's a film that needs cutting down a lot. Yeah. An hour and 50 minutes. It, it No, unnecessary. I think it needed more um, backstory. It needed more development. Yeah. Because him not going home didn't mean anything because we barely saw him in yeah. one scene. Um, I think they could have developed the uh, illegal alien side of it more. Yeah. But it's so cheesy and stupid. It's it really, it's so fucking stupid that I couldn't help be entertained. Yeah. This is, this is definitely uh, up there in the Trash the Peace Hall of Fame. This is... Uh... One that everyone's seen, everyone knows it's about. It's a go-to. When anyone talks about Trash to Pieces, it's definitely a go-to. Yeah. Uh, so that's Howard the Duck. It's also a lot better than any of the uh, <laughs> the Fantastic Four films that we had to watch for the podcast mm. from Marvel. Mm. Um, so that's uh, that's always a bonus. Be better than the original Doctor Strange. <laughs> I don't know if we're going that far. Um... But yeah, that's Howard the Duck. So let us know on social media your thoughts on this uh, iconic Trash the Peace. We are Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram. And GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. And uh, if you like what you hear, give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like a follow on anything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. Today... Tuesday, the 3rd of May, uh, we appear on two other podcasts. Two. If you you haven't had enough of our voices yet, you can check out Life's Better Song podcast to hear us discussing Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Yes. Has a very similar stupid camp tone to this. Yeah, the un- uh, underrated. <laughs> and uh, head over to the Horror Bandwagon as well to hear us discussing Jaws the Revenge. A not-so-fun bad film. Yeah. But a fun episode to record. That's very true. That's hours of our voices stuck in yeah. your head. Yeah, I, I believe they're available on all podcast streaming platforms, so Absolutely. go check them out. Uh, next week, it'll be double episode week, starting on Tuesday with... Fuck now, we never shut up. I know, yeah, you just, just can't get enough of us. Uh, on Tuesday with Robot Wars. Yes. Yes. To celebrate what? Uh, to celebrate the return of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And Lisa Renner getting us out of a storyline this time around. Lisa Renner, she's going after Kathy Hilton. And we'll be watching her go after Robot Wars. Oh, Robot Wars? Or Robot, Robot Whatever. Wars. We ain't watched it yet, so I don't know what she's going after. Yeah. But she's going after. Yeah. And y- you bet she's going to tell it all. Screaming gay rights going after Kathy Hilton. She's her and Barbara Crampton. If you ever wanted to see them in a film together, Robot Wars is your film. Yeah. Can't wait to watch that. And then on Friday, it is, of course, Friday the 13th. And... Yes, we are still releasing an episode on each Friday the 13th film for Friday we the 13th. We are continuing that. You know, we're sticking by it. Yeah. Others wouldn't, but we have. And this time around, we'll be discussing the Roy Burns classic, Friday the 13th, part five, A New Beginning. Well, I hope you've already watched it, because that's a little bit of a spoiler. Well, it isn't, because I haven't said what he does. He's the just Roy iconic, Burns classic. He's just an iconic character. <laughs> yes. Um... 
I've got. I'm going to save it all for the episode. I've got a lot to say, and I'll save it for the episode. Um, So, go listen to us elsewhere today, and for our podcast, we'll see you on Tuesday. Bye.